Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, August 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why officials with school safety concerns say more districts need cameras and security. Then we'll hear how new Alzheimer's research at the national and state level could improve care in the state. Understanding the differences in the dementias is important because You know, the rule of thumb is to start low and go slow with any kind of changes that are made. But ultimately, you want to help people to live a high quality of life for as long as possible. And learn how you can help Mississippi food pantries experiencing the end of summer slump. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A statewide organization is urging all districts to keep security top of mind. Phil Birchfield is executive director of the Mississippi Association of School Superintendents. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier each district needs a plan that fits its size and design. When we're talking about school security and and safety, you know, there's no one size fits all. Um, Our conference this summer was about school safety and uh, we had some people that came in from Washington, uh, not only at that level, but also at, at our state level, who had conversation with our superintendents about about school safety. And ideas were talked about. Uh, what was happening in DeSoto County uh, is a little bit different than what, you know, what people have in, in maybe down on the coast or here in central Mississippi. But uh, what we try to do is is at least create a sense of urgency. Uh, last year there were like 22 school shootings across our nation, and we feel like that uh, we've promised our, our membership that the information that we'll be giving them will be current and it'll be relevant. And with that number of shootings that we've had in our state, we felt like the conversations that we needed to have would certainly be relevant in the area of security. Do you provide training? Do you offer uh, experts to come into the schools? How does that work? Uh, we do. Most of it at this level is that is statewide. We probably paint it with a broad brush. But, uh, you know, after the conference is over with, people start talking amongst themselves. Superintendents start talking among themselves to see what they're doing. Some of these people that we had are, are vendors um, and they, uh, once they speak, you know, superintendents have the, certainly the, the, the right and the opportunity to talk to them and say, you know, I, you said during our meeting that uh, this is what you would do, and, and I'd like to follow up with that. And with that conversation, it can be left at, at, the, at the convention or it can be uh, taken back to the, to the district. Um, what, some of the things that, that they have is – where they can financially afford it or not, you know, some buildings have, have been built in the uh, in the 40s and 50s and may not be able to do much with them. But in building new buildings, uh, we need to start looking at ways in which we can keep our our kids safe. And sometimes the building and the design of that building uh, impacts that. 
Now, will every school district be able to go out and build a building that is uh, 100% safe? I don't think you could do that, but um, they can do something, and that's the purpose of our training is, is that you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. What are some key precautions that you urge school officials to have in place? We would like to see people take it serious. In what we've heard from most school districts that have had school shootings on site, and the most recent one was the one in Florida, you know, nobody ever thinks that it can happen to them. And so one of the things that we try to impress on people is that, you know, it can happen to you and you need to have a plan in place so that if or when it does happen to your school district that you have something in place that you can follow. Uh, that's, a, that's a start. You know, you, you need to have the conversations uh, with not only your own school district, you've got to have conversation with your local authorities and you know, in your community, your parents uh, and kids uh, in your schools. What if this happens? What is that going to look like? And that is a lot of it. So, you know, just be prepared. Well, Mr. Birchfield, with the State Superintendents Association, we just appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this important issue. Sure. Thank you. Sandy Hummer East is Public Relations Director in Gulfport School District. She tells MPB's Desiree Fraser districts across the state should have the same baseline security measures. We are doing a good job, but there are always more things that anyone could do. You know, I just think that all the schools need to be provided with the cameras that they need to be provided. We have school resource officers on our campuses. We have uh, the Gulfport Police Department does a phenomenal job of going through our parking lots and all. But, you know, I could just say that if there's anything that I would like to see happen would be for all of the schools in the state to have the same that we have or better, um, to have preventive monitoring, because I think that that really helps. So I guess it depends on the size of the district, and everyone is different, and the needs are different. Absolutely. That's something that's very important to note, that when you are looking at a, a public school district or even a private school district, the community support, the size of the district, the number of students you have, the type of facilities you have. If you've got a real open facility, you're obviously going to need different security measures than you are if you've got a gated, closed facility. So all of those things do come into play. Gulfport School District Sandy Cummer East with our Desiree Frazier. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, we'll hear how new Alzheimer's research at the national and state level could improve care in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Watch Us Shine brings together some of your favorite MPB radio and TV stars. Join Walt Grayson, Deborah Hunter, Wyatt Waters, Robert St. John, Marshall Ramsey, Bill Ellison, and Felder Rushing for a magical evening of never-before-seen footage and remarkable gems from our vault. It's a night of star-studded entertainment, major announcements, and a chance to win fabulous prizes. MPB Watch Us Shine premieres Thursday, August 23rd at 7 p.m. on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
New developments in Alzheimer's disease research is being presented this summer. The Alzheimer's Association's 2018 International Conference released findings on the population experiencing the majority of Alzheimer's diagnoses, women. Officials say new medications are being considered as well. Maria Carrillo is chief science officer at the Alzheimer's Association. She says the research could provide improved quality of life for patients. I think we've uh, certainly known for a long time that uh, two-thirds of Americans living with Alzheimer's disease are women, and we've thought about that as sort of maybe a longevity issue. Women live a little longer than men, although that gap is now closing a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it's been important to find out why women are at an increased risk. You know, we've thought about hormones and perhaps some of the genetic risk factors being more prominent in women, but new information at this conference is telling us that perhaps a lifelong risk uh, associated with women's reproductive history, uh, pregnancy, may also contribute uh, to late-life risk for dementia. So we're learning a lot about those things, and it's really exciting to be able to think about how we can uh, explore more information underlying women's risk in particular. As more information becomes available, does that mean there might be a way to prevent Alzheimer's? You know, as more information becomes available, we start learning more and more about the fact that what we do early in life actually impacts brain health later. And I think for women in particular, certainly the idea that pregnancies, more pregnancies might be able to protect you, uh, that's a very intriguing thing. And we have to find out why, because perhaps it's not something that we're going to go out and recommend, you know, pregnancies for reducing your risk of Alzheimer's or dementia. But we need to understand what is behind that. Is it a hormone balance? Is it something women are doing in particular during that time so that we can recommend it for the future? One of the most exciting things we've also learned about is that controlling your blood pressure to lower than 120 after 50 years old is actually going to be helping you slow cognitive decline to the point where it can reduce risk of mild cognitive impairment, which we know is a precursor to dementia. Really important news about lifelong modifiable risk factors like blood pressure because it's something everybody can do today to protect their brain. Any idea how many people... Uh, will end up with dementia at a certain age? So, yeah, we do have a lot of information at the Alzheimer's Association's uh, facts and figures every year that we publish, and you can find that on ALZ.org, that tells you how many people are affected with Alzheimer's. And so today we estimate that 5.7 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease, and that that number is set to triple by 2030. I mean, we also know that it's the costliest um, disease to treat in America, and we're only really not even treating it much. We're caring for people, and that care is so expensive because people need that round-the-clock care. What type of new drug developments are available? First is, of course, that a treatment we, we know about today, you know, blood pressure medication can actually improve, uh, you know, your future risk uh, of getting uh, dementia. So that's, that's important. But the second thing is that we heard some about some drug studies that are reporting out and telling us that we may have the hope of, of actually pulling out that sticky protein, that plaque, uh, that builds up as one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. And that is great news. You can imagine that in the future, if we continue to move along those lines and we can remove those proteins that are hurting our brain and remove them as soon as possible, even before symptoms occur, we might even be able to create a prevention for Alzheimer's dementia. Are there any drugs that will extend life or extend the quality of life for someone with dementia? Drugs that extend life or, or quality of life 
is uh, an area that has been underfunded for a long time. Um, but now uh, there's a lot of great research that was reported here at our conference uh, to think about how we can improve the quality of life of people that may already have a diagnosis uh, or be diagnosed in the future. And a big part of that is that uh, people don't think that about neuropsychiatric symptoms or, or agitation, aggression, or maybe uh, sleep loss, or you know that that also interfere with your quality of life. You know, we think of Alzheimer's dementia or related dementias as just memory disorders, and really, you know, there's a whole lot of other things that go along with that. And anybody who has a loved one with Alzheimer's or another dementia knows that there are other behaviors that can somehow, sometimes really affect not only the person with the disease but also their caregiver. So there is a lot of hope on the horizon for that because there are medications being developed for agitation, for sleep, uh, for anxiety that are going to be able to help to improve quality of life and fam for families. Dr. Carrillo, is there a place people can find out about the research that's being presented at the conference? Please visit alz.org for a lot of great information. Dr. Maria Carrillo is a chief science officer at the Alzheimer's Association. Dr. Carrillo, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's great to be with you, and thanks for highlighting this important topic. Mississippi healthcare practitioners, family members, and students who work with those coping with Alzheimer's disease and forms of dementia can take part in the University of Mississippi's annual conference. Hosted by the Mind Center, the event is set to teach strategies to improve brain health and promote successful aging. Kathy Van Cleve is the Director of Education and Outreach at the Mind Center. She says there's something for everyone. Education and information is the key to understanding what's happening with the disease process. And, and there are a lot of things that will be covered, you know, from even how to better understand the disease process or that diagnostic process to resources and how to help someone in the middle of the disease or, um, you know, hearing from family caregivers who have already um, navigated this journey. There's really something for everyone. It's called a conference on Alzheimer's and other dementias. Is there a difference in prognosis, treatment between Alzheimer's and other types of dementias? To some degree, yes. Many times the differential dementias present differently, and they may have a, a different progression and respond differently to treatments. But the end of that process tends to be the same, if you will. Um, understanding the differences in the dementias is important because, you know, the rule of thumb is to start low and go slow with any kind of changes that are made, whether it's be medication or changes to the environment. But ultimately, you want to help people to live a high quality of life for as long as possible. The challenges or concerns would vary, I would think, between a physician treating a patient as opposed to the caregiver. Can you give us a sense of what a practitioner will learn from the conference or get out of the conference that will help them in treating their patients? We have brought together national leaders, really, uh, with our you know, folks from the, the University of Mississippi Medical Center and other some talents there from, from the Tupelo area. You know, we're opening the conference with Dr. Tom Mosley, you know, unraveling the cause of Alzheimer's and dementia. He's going to be able to explain kind of what's happening there, what some of the current research is stating, and some of the new studies and things that are happening here at the Mind Center. We have Dr. Joanne Pike, who's coming as a representative from the National Alzheimer's Association, talking about the Healthy Brain Initiative and, you know, that focus on brain health and really putting things in place. So there are all sorts of things that are happening there. 
there. Without going through the whole list of our presenters, there's some just some wonderful presentations that will take place on both Wednesday and Thursday. You also have Glenn Campbell's widow. He died, of course, of from Alzheimer's not too long ago mm-hmm. and performed while he after he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Can you tell us what she'll bring to the conference? Yes, Kim Campbell. We are just thrilled to have Kim Campbell coming. Um, Glenn Campbell, during his farewell tour, um, actually came and did a benefit concert for the Mind Center in 2012. Unfortunately, he passed away with the disease in August of 2017. But they welcomed a, a documentary film crew that put together the documentary, uh, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. Um, and it features footage from those con- some of the concerts that he did during that year, but also their struggle at home with navigating the healthcare process and all of that. Um, Ms. Campbell is just a, a wonderful advocate for people with Alzheimer's and has spoken on both before Congress and general communities here in rural areas of the nation. So she just really brings a, a different perspective on what it was like to live that journey with Glenn, but also what support mechanisms they were able to draw from and still continue to draw from as they have taken that advocacy role as a family. Tell us more about the specifics of the conference. When, where, how much, how do you register? The conference is August 22nd through the 24th in Tupelo, Mississippi. We'll be at the Bank Court South Convention Center and are really utilizing some wonderful space there. We'll start bright and early on Wednesday morning, the 22nd, so we do have registration available the Tuesday evening before. We have a full day of courses on Wednesday the 22nd, a full day of events on Thursday, August 23rd, and then a half day on Friday. Our registration fee is 215 and that is for the full conference. That is our professional rate. We also have a discounted rate for students, seniors, and family caregivers. And uh, if there's a non CE professional, if they don't need continuing education credits, then that rate is 125 Do you have a site online people can go to for more information? Yes. Registration is available through our website at umc.edu forward slash A-L-Z-C-O-N-F. When you get to that site, there will be a couple of choices there. It asks you your CE profession or what areas you need what your registration type is. And so you can click on that link and it'll walk you through it. Kathy Van Cleve is the Director of Education and Outreach at the MIND Center. And the MIND stands for Memory Impairment and Neurodegenerative Dementia. Kathy, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. We appreciate your time. Coming up, learn how you can help Mississippi food pantries experiencing the end of summer slump. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next Southern Remedy TV special... The e-cigarette industry has experienced exponential growth in the U.S. Many smokers say vaping is a lifesaver. I smoked for 37 years, that it got me to wean off of combustible tobacco. While health advocates say it's a gateway to tobacco. The trend is now that a lot of teens that are e-cigarette users are moving on to traditional cigarettes. Vaping, clouded by controversy, Thursday, August 30th at 7 on MPB Television. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Mississippi food banks are among organizations experiencing lows in donations. Officials with the Salvation Army say their food bank sees fewer donations of food during summer than the rest of the year. Michelle Hartfield is director of public relations at the Salvation Army in Jackson. She says there is a critical shortage in their food pantry. We have one somewhere in the August, September, just about every year because people tend to not think about donating as much over the summer as they do in the holiday season. And with canned food specifically, kids are not in school and school kids do a lot of canned food drives. Is it the same situation with financial contributions? I mean, pretty much everything is lower over the summer. How do you combat that? We just do our best to get the word out. And, you know, we do a lot of, you know, pleas on social media. We, um, you know, kind of stress the good that our programs are doing. Just try to, you know, remind people that we're still here. We're still working. We're still, you know, serving people in the Jackson community or, or whatever community any organization is serving. What other times of the year present the greatest need? It'll usually die off a little bit in the spring. Because everyone's given, you know, over Christmas and gotten in their end-of-the-year tax breaks. And so then sometimes around spring it'll start to die off. But the summer is always the hardest. Is it a similar situation around the state the same times of year? It is, yeah. I mean, summer is just is just hard for nonprofits, especially for ones relying on donations of goods and not just financial donations. Because um, people are traveling, people are out, they're not necessarily doing spring cleaning and getting rid of stuff. There's just, there's not a whole lot going on to remind people. And they get kind of caught up in, in summer and the craziness and, you know, the routine is gone. So people just don't think about it as much. The unemployment numbers have decreased in recent months, although the most recent has ticked up just a little bit. But do you see a trend there that the need decreases as the unemployment rate drops? We have not seen really a decrease in need in our area. Tell us if people want to donate food, mm-hmm. what kinds of food do you want? So it has to be shelf-stable food uh, that has not expired. So we can't store food that needs to be refrigerated. And I think most people, when you think canned food, go straight for the green beans and the corn. So we almost always have those. What we need are things like macaroni and cheese or tuna, pasta, and sauce, things that let us actually give people meals and not just fruits and vegetables. We don't do bread, but crackers, and people don't think about that. Crackers will last a long time. So like a a box of saltines and a jar of peanut butter is a really good solution. All right. If if people do want to donate food items, what do they do? To give to us specifically, you can bring them to our administration and social services office, which is at 110 Presto Lane in Jackson. And people can find out where other Salvation Army yes, offices are uh, in the state. Yes, there are Salvation Armies all over the state. So our office represents the six counties in the Jackson metro area, but just there's going to be one in any county that you want to donate to. So you just find your local one, and they'll be able to – you might want to give them a call, but they'll be able to tell you exactly where to take it. I know that you appreciate the food. Do you appreciate cash donations more? Cash is Always, always, always welcome. Um, Right now, we definitely need the food, but cash can also be used to purchase food, um, and we can, you know, use the cash for all of our programs. A lot of people are, are not completely familiar with just how much the Salvation Army does. 
we're not just the kettles. So we have homeless programs and shelters, and we have after-school programs and run education and arts programs for kids. There's a lot. So that cash definitely funds good things in your community. If people need help and they're listening mm-hmm. and they need some help, where do they turn? Okay, so they can come again to our social services office at 110 Presto Lane, and we will be able to get them an appointment to meet with one of our social workers, and they can uh, get them the help they need. Michelle Hartfield is the Director of Public Relations at the Salvation Army of Jackson. Michelle, thanks so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. To find a donation point, check with your local food bank. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.